0: studies. Lord, we, Father, we're thankful for tonight, thankful for a time to come together as church family, a time to look at your word, Lord, to draw truths and and principles from it. uh, Father, we're thankful for um, the chance that we have to come together and to pray, and Father, we do pray tonight for um, Peggy's aunt and uh, Lord, just the uh, cancer that she has in her legs. Father, we pray that you would heal her. Father, we pray that um, you would be with those who are taking care of her. Lord, give them strength, give them wisdom um, as they look after her. Uh, Father, we do pray for uh, Wally's co-worker tonight, Michael, Lloyd, and we just pray for the tests that they're going to do, that they'll be able to to find and to to isolate and to see what the problem is, Lord, so that they can treat it. And Lord, we um, we, we pray that as Wally tries to um, that seeks to share with him the truth of of Christ, uh, Father, we pray that you would give Wally wisdom, and uh, Father, that. You would move, Father, by Your Spirit in the midst of those conversations. So, Father, we um, we come tonight. We think of um, Father, others, we Craig's mom with with COVID and and others. Lord, we just pray that You would would heal, Father. We pray tonight as we. look at our study and and look at your word, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, that you would open our minds and, and Father, change our hearts. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight uh, we're going to return back to the book of Judges in chapter 16, so please turn there with me. Judges chapter sixteen. We've been walking through this study together, um, put together by Dr. Robert Godfrey, and it's on the life of Samson. And so we've kind of taken his lectures and, and his study and, and his um, workbook for this this study, and, and try to kind of condense it and arrange it in in a way that's understandable for us and applicable for us here at. Flat Creek So we've walked through The four parts of The story we looked at Samson's parents and then the, the marriage To the Philistine Woman and then the Visit to the prostitute and, and lastly His love for Delilah And he was betrayed by Delilah And into the, the hands of the Philistines And they captured him And they put him in prison And they made him work grinding at the meal um and then they brought Samson into the temple of, of Dagon their god and they brought him, it says they brought him out as entertainment um, basically meaning they brought him out so that they could make fun of him and mock him um his blindness and, and other things um, As part of the fun that they were having at his expense. And so during this time, Samson prayed to God. And um, in God answering that prayer of Samson's, we see that he gave Samson the victory over the Philistines. So look with me at verse 28. There we read, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the middle two pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people, who were in it. And so here, what we we see is that uh, before, when uh, Samson his hair was cut, uh, breaking the vow, and uh, see the Lord, it said the spirit of the Lord left him, the Lord uh, abandoned him. But we see it was only for a time; It, it wasn't permanent. Um, here, the, the Lord heard Samson's prayer, and He answered it. And we see here a, a application of uh, Psalm 99 in verse eight. It says, "O Lord, our God, You answered them; You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrong doings." So God forgave Samson, um, and He gave Israel victory over their enemies, the Philistines. And so um, we see here that Samson pushes these pillars down. He brings down the building on itself and kills everybody inside, including himself. And then the very end of verse 30 says, So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And Dr. Godfrey here, he makes an interesting point when he says that um, this shows that Samson was actually more victorious in his death than in his life. He killed more of the enemy at one time during this one instance when he died than he did during all the years of his life. And Dr. Godfrey then says in that way, Samson is a foreshadowing to us of Jesus. We think of the victory in the sacrifice of Jesus over sin and death. We talked about Sunday morning, the, the perfect sacrifice, precious, unblemished sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so my, it may have seemed like defeat on the cross. It wasn't because the crucifixion led to the resurrection on the third day. So Samson dies here. He he dies with these pagan, uncircumcised Philistines outside of the land of promise. Uh, But we also have verse 31, which says, Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him, and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eschel, in the tomb of Manoah, his father. So he was taken back to the land of promise, and there he was buried with the people of God. And so we see at the end of Samson's life that, that God did accomplish his purpose through Samson, um, Despite the sin of the people of Israel, despite the sin of, of Samson as he was their judge, God ultimately used the life of Samson for his own glory. And so we, we come to the end of the story of Samson, but it's not the end of the book of Judges. Um We see at this point, uh, basically with with Samson, the the last judge that's mentioned here in the book, um, Israel is both spiritually and nationally, they're just a complete wreck, right? It's really bad news, Um, the the way that they are um, involved in, in all kinds of sin, So chapter 17 begins, and we learn about Micah, Micah and his mother. Um, So Micah's stolen money from his mother, and then he returns it to her. So he took it, he returns it, and then look in chapter 17 at verse 3. It says, "...and he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother." And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. As we read, that, that, that's very strange. I mean, knowing what we know about the law of God, this this makes no sense. Uh, In in verse 3, his mother here uses the covenant name of God, the Lord. In most of our English translations, it'll be in all caps, all capital letters, meaning that it's translating Yahweh. So she, she mentions the, the covenant name of God Yahweh and then sets out to make a carved image out of silver to dedicate it to Yahweh. I mean that's a direct violation of the law of God. The the second commandment tells us. Exodus twenty twelve, you should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. So, like, what in the world is this lady doing? And here through this, we see this profound spiritual ignorance. In Israel, this lack of discernment, this, um, see how much that, the people of Israel have not been teaching their children. They have not been um, teaching them the law of God. And so they don't, they don't understand They can't make these images to worship. And then look at verse, verses 5 and 6. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So we see there again that refrain that happens here at the end of the book of Judges. So he's, he's made all of these things. He set up this little shrine in his, his own home. And then Micah comes into contact with a Levite from Bethlehem. And Micah asked this Levite to come and stay with him in his home. Then look at verses 12 and 13. It says, And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest. It was in the house of Micah. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. Again, what in the world is, is going on? I mean, the Levite is to be serving at the tabernacle. What's he doing sojourning, right? He, he has a place to be. He has a responsibility to be doing that's assigned to him by God. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. The Levite doesn't just get to, to pick and choose where he wants to be and what he wants to be doing. Micah doesn't just get to decide that he's, he's going to set up his own little shrine in his house. To worship, The Lord had commanded that worship take place in the tabernacle where his presence dwelt. So again, this spiritual ignorance is, that's going on among the people. Later on in chapter 18 of Judges, uh, the tribe of Dan, they come along steal these idols away from Micah. And they take the Levite from him. And make him their own. Look at chapter in chapter eighteen, verse eighteen. It said, and when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, "What are you doing?" And they said to him, "Keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us, and be to us a father and a priest." Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. His heart was glad. I just just have in my mind a picture of this dude just in, in blissful ignorance, just happy as he can be, not understanding What's going on? And having no idea how offensive to God this is, I mean, it's just, he's kind of happy he gets a promotion, right? He goes from one man, one house, to a whole tribe. And then just to really drive the fact home of how far down into spiritual darkness the nation of Israel is gone, we learn the identity of the Levite from this story. Read in verse 30 of chapter 18. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. This is the grandson of Moses who who is sojourning around when he should have been serving the Lord in the tabernacle. He's, he's serving the tribe of Dan using these metal man-made idols. Just, just a couple of generations removed from the man that led Israel out of slavery, in Egypt, that, that God spoke to face to face as a man does to his friend. This is the one who's in, this is the Levite that's in the house of Micah and for the tribe. Of Dan. Then in verse 31, we read, so they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. House of God, the tabernacle, was at Shiloh. So where should the Levite have been? Shiloh. Where should Micah and his mother and the tribe of Dan go to worship? Shiloh. And Dr. Godfrey here points out that in 18 chapters of the book of Judges, this is the first time that Shiloh or the house of God are even mentioned. The the place where the tabernacle is. The place where God's presence dwelt with His people. The place where where the priests are ministering for the people. Yet it hadn't even been mentioned once. It's, you know, the nation is so caught up in doing their own thing, they've completely forgotten their God and, and His law. And there's, there are things for us to learn here from this. I mean, think about it. Was, it. was it easier? Was it more convenient? Was it more pragmatic for Micah to have these idols in his home than have to travel to Shiloh? Sure. But that's not what God had commanded. Same thing true for us as individuals and, and as a local church. Right? We don't do the things that are easiest or the most pragmatic. We do that which God has commanded in his word. And so we see just how, how much sin has infected even into the people of God at the end of the book of Judges. And we Next, get to Judges 19. And we've, we've talked about this briefly before in this study and the uh, story of the Levite and his concubine. And, it, it, you know, like we said a while ago, when we, we think that the spiritual condition of the people of Israel can't get any worse, and then lo and behold, it does. One of the most, the, the most graphic, most detestable stories in the Bible. And so we see that in this chapter, a Levite came with his concubine. Um, they came up to the city of Gibeah and, and stopped there for the evening in the house of an old man. It says that the, the men surrounded the house and demanded that the Levite come out, that they might in, uh, know him, might in, engage in, in sexual acts with him. And then the man puts out the Levite's concubine in the place of the Levite, and the men that are outside then brutally rape her until the next morning. After this, Levite takes her body and dismembers it into 12 pieces, sends it out to all the tribes of Israel. And in verse 30 of chapter 19, it says, And all who saw it said, such a thing has never happened, or been seen, from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. And so, what we see here is this this chapter in, of Judges nineteen is a very, uh, very, very similar to another passage in Genesis nineteen, right? Very. Similar instance, it occurred in Sodom and Gomorrah before they were destroyed. And the point here that's being made here in Judges 19 is that this kind of act is so wicked, it's so vile that it had happened among the you know the pagan, uncircumcised Gentiles in Sodom and Gomorrah, but now it's happening even among the people. Of Israel. That's how low it's gotten. It should never be. Right? They've been chosen. They've been set apart by God. They've been given a law and, and a covenant. We just see the depths of depravity in which the people of Israel had gone. And... Yet, in, in spite of the, the sin of Israel, in spite of the sin of, of Samson as their final judge, um, the Lord still works. Samson is still set apart. He, he's named by the author of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament um, as one who is commended through faith. And so, next time we'll come back and we'll discuss... Uh, the Christian context for Samson, looking at um, the verse in the book of Hebrews. So let's pray together. Father, we, we are thankful for your word. Father, we are, we are thankful for your spirit that teaches us through your word. Father, I pray that you would go with us now as we meditate, we reflect on the things from these chapters. Lord, may you teach us. May we walk in obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you.